Intermittent fasting is the new IT diet. Done right, it can help you lose weight and it can vastly improve your overall body function. Can reduce your risk of heart disease, cancer, all sorts of amazing things can happen when you give your cells a chance to regenerate. And that's what intermittent fasting can do. That said, done wrong, you'll be cranky, you'll be hangry. So what do you really need to know if you wanna jump on this new latest weight loss trend? I'm Sarah Heiner. This is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. I'm Sarah Heiner, president of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to Dr. Krista Verity, associate professor of kinesiology and nutrition at the University of Illinois at Chicago, and she's one of the leading researchers on the behavioral side of intermittent fasting. She's the co-author of The Every Other Day Diet, as well as dozens of scientific papers that have been published in Obesity, the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, and other leading medical journals. You can get the book, The Every Other Day Diet, wherever books are sold. So welcome, Krista. I'm thrilled to be talking to you. Oh, great. Thanks for having me. Well, intermittent dieting is a big talk around our offices. And I think you said that, I heard a quote somewhere that you said that you believe fasting is the most effective and helpful method for people to lose weight. So tell me about your passion for intermittent dieting. Uh, yeah, well, I, I definitely think it's something that can help people lose weight and improve um, like their heart disease and diabetes risk. Um, I think it's another, I'm, I'm not sure, um, just to clarify, I don't think it's like the best diet out there. I think people should do what works for them. And, you know, for some people that's daily calorie restriction. But I think that intermittent fasting should definitely be considered as a as, a, as an approach that's both safe and effective. So, and let's talk about why people are doing it. So weight loss is the primary reason. Is that like, how do they even come to it, find out about it, motivated to start to think that weight loss would be the way that they would do it or the reason for them to do this? Uh, the, well, there's a bunch of, I think right now it's actually becoming a fairly popular diet. Intermittent fasting is Somebody told me it's in like the top five like research diets on Google or something. Um, people are looking for it. So there's there's a bunch of different things. There's a lot of good books out there. But in general, sorry, your question was like, does it work for weight loss? Or? No, it's not like why are people doing it? Why you know, the motivation for fasting? So it's it's the weight loss. Can they move? Can does it matter how much weight they need to lose? Like if I'm a five pound person or if I'm a fifty pound person, does it have the same kind of effectiveness of why you know, to be able to be worth considering? Uh, yeah, it's we've run studies in both people with obesity and in normal weight people, and we show that it does help people. Uh, well, if someone has a lot of weight to lose, they tend to lose anywhere from like two to five pounds per week. So the weight comes off a lot faster with intermittent fasting. And then normal weight people also lose a little bit of weight, but obviously those people don't really need to lose weight. So the weight comes off a little bit slower. It's like half a pound a week for, or, or so. Now, there's a whole other aspect of it, which is the, I call it health benefits of it, and then it almost becomes a lifestyle to intermittent fast. So let's talk for a minute about the whole cell regeneration, reduction of disease risk aspect. Oh, sure. Yeah. So recently, um, a lot of researchers have been looking into kind of what are the mechanisms behind um, intermittent fasting helping people to get healthier. And there's two major things that they found. Uh, one is something called autophagy, and that's basically when um, it's literally the the word is literally like self-eating. That's what autophagy means. 
and where your yeah, body is self-eating itself. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's versus um, I'm self-eating a donut. <laughs> um, and so basically when someone stops eating or has like a window between meals that's fairly large, like five hours or so, um, the body is actually able to like look inwards on itself and identify damaged cell components. And then it literally just like eats them up or like destroys them. And then those cells, yeah, basically disappear. And then they've also shown these researchers that stem cell rejuvenation occurs with fasting. So that means that new cells kind of spring up in the place of the old damaged cells. And it basically helps the tissues to become healthier. And are, are those old damaged cells like precancerous cells? Uh, yes, they would be considered precancerous cells. So even somebody, if I don't want to lose weight just for basic health benefits of letting my body clean itself out, then yeah, it's exactly. a good thing to do. It just helps basically, yeah, like rejuvenate your body. Now, interestingly, um, let's talk about detoxification because, in fact, I believe you, you and I had had a conversation about this, that um, intermittent fasting is not good for detoxification. So explain that. Uh, yeah, I got the whole detox thing, honestly, I, I don't really believe in it. Um, generally, you know, sometimes your, your fat will store toxins in it. So when you lose weight and you're actually like burning off that fat and liberating fat from your fat tissue, um, toxins that are stored in your fat tissue will actually enter your blood. So you're actually increasing the amount of toxins in your circulatory system with weight loss. Um, but I don't know. I don't think people should really be worried about like toxins in general, unless you know, unless they're dealing with like crazy chemicals in the environment. Like that's an issue. But the whole like juice fasting for detox is honestly, it doesn't make any sense scientifically. Well, but what um, about though? There's so much chatter out there about all the toxins in our lives, right? So there's lead in the soil. There's all sorts of heavy metals. There's all sorts of chemicals in our food and in the soil. Um, and all the push on organic foods, and then there's the phthalates and all the stuff that's in the lotions and potions. I mean, aren't we? Are, isn't there an aspect of our lives that we really are bathing ourselves in toxins, and that we have absorbed them into our bodies? Uh, definitely, there's a lot of like environmental toxins, but I don't think weight loss is, is the the key to getting rid of that. So in general, you know, if somebody has like a lead toxicity, they use something called like chelators, basically take these like medicines that like bind onto the lead and try to like get it out of your body. But there's weight loss is not going to detoxify your body. That's yeah. what I mean. Like there's no like link between that. So no. I don't even know where that came from. Well, and in fact, actually, you made a really important point, which was that the toxins almost become denser in your body when you lose the weight. Now you have a higher concentration of these toxins and it becomes risky. So uh, yeah, 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 exactly. So my real point or fear is that before somebody starts intermittent fasting or if they think that they might have high levels of toxins, do they need to get screened and then work with a professional to help them not have other side effects or risks as a result of the toxins? Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess that makes sense. I honestly, my research doesn't really look at like toxins and the whole, you know, most nutrition researchers don't really believe in the whole like toxifying thing unless you're talking about like heavy metals or definitely like environmental pollutants and stuff like that. That stuff can be dangerous. But whether or not like 
yeah, anyway, I'm not sure just in terms of like weight loss and intermittent fasting. I don't think there's been any studies looking at how that can help detoxify or if that's even true. I digress, but it's, you know, I just think it's something people do talk about detoxes. So I I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but I think it's important for for people to understand the full implications, the weight loss and the cell regeneration, which I think is so exciting. Um, and we have a guy that, that works with me on these podcasts, actually, and he's he is an absolute devotee of intermittent fasting. Better energy, feels great, doesn't feel hungry. Like, he's the poster child for this stuff. Um, okay. So let's talk about the three types of fasting, because there, there are three different ways that you can fast, right? Um, yes, that's right. Okay, so first is the timed eating, where you only eat for a certain bunch of hours in the day. Talk about that one. Uh, yeah, so that's scientifically, it's called time-restricted eating or time-restricted feeding. Uh, it's also popularly called 16-8, so that's where you would limit the time that you would eat food to about eight hours per day. Um, and a lot of people pick like, you know, 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. or something like that. So you basically, you can eat whatever you want as long as you confine it to 12 p.m. to 8 p.m., let's say. Whatever, whatever. Best. Or yeah, whatever, whatever healthy, like whatever, whatever. Uh, so, um, and then, um, and then, uh, basically, the other hours, sixteen hours a day, it's water fasting. Um, and then there's only actually been about four studies in that area. So that's the thing that we have to remember: intermittent fasting is, you know, ten years ago, nobody would fund any grant for intermittent fasting. I've been studying this for fifteen years, and like it's only become popular now. But nobody wanted to fund this research before because they thought it was like I don't know, bad for you or something. Um, so yeah. Uh, so we ran a study for 16-8 about, let me see, it was published about a year ago, and we found that it's, yeah, it helped people lose weight, it helped people lower their blood pressure, um, and we've noticed some other things, just other people have noticed that it helps people improve their insulin resistance, so that would basically be protective against diabetes risk. Um, so a bunch of different things. Some studies have also noticed that it helped people sleep better. So, you know, some things here and there, again, we're not dealing with like a lot of data at this point, so we don't really know, but it does seem to be beneficial for sure. And they, again, those those were human studies though, because there've been a lot of animal studies on intermittent fasting as well, haven't there? Oh, that's true, yeah, there's been, um, I'm just kind of referencing the, the human stuff, right. but um, in animals, yeah, there, there's been a lot. I actually, I'm, I'm friends with the people that run the animal studies, but to be honest with you, I don't know if we can test this stuff in animals because if you fast a mouse like with alternate day fasting for instance where you have like a fast day where you eat 500 calories and the next day you get to eat whatever you want if you do that in a mouse and you fast them for a full day and only give them like 25 percent of their energy needs that's like fasting a human for like two weeks <laughs> so i don't think but, you know just because interesting like two years so if you like that calculate right. so i'm not really you know they show like amazing effects in animals and you know, I'm sure, you know, that's great, but uh, I don't know. We, we don't really see the exact same thing happen in humans. So good. right now I'm, I'm hesitant to quote anything. <laughs> I'm all right. I'm good with human studies. Um, so let me ask you this, though, because timed eating is so contrary to the classic. There are those that say six meals a day. There are those that say breakfast is the most important meal a day. So how do you stack up the different theories against each other on, t- on the schedule of eating? How 
So how, like, basically, which one's better or? Well, I guess, yeah, I mean, it's confusing for the world out there, right? So because one person says six meals a day and diabetics in particular are told to eat repeatedly through the day. Um, and then there are those that say breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And then there's this, you know, the time eating group that says, you know, 16-8. So how, how should anybody that's out there trying to figure out the best way to eat, and maybe there isn't a single best way to eat, how do they stack up those different theories? Because everybody makes sense. Uh, yeah, I really think that people should just do what works best for them. So whatever they can incorporate into their lifestyle, whatever they can do long term is the most important thing. You definitely don't want to get caught up in the whole yo-yo dieting thing and you try something for three months and lose weight and then gain it all back. That's not great. Um, in general, the the whole like breakfast skipping is bad for you has kind of been debunked by recent research. Like a lot of the previous research was funded by like cereal companies showing that, you know, breakfast is the best meal of the day. But there was a really nice clinical trial that was published a couple of years ago with like, I think it was like 300 people and they showed that it really didn't matter if you skip breakfast or not. There was no, there was no like negative health consequences of it. And same with the whole like, you're gonna like stop your, you know, slow down your metabolism if you skip breakfast. That yeah, I haven't seen any convincing evidence showing that at all. So I don't know. Again, like, I don't know really where this stuff came from, unless it was just like, yeah, cereal companies or like breakfast companies trying to like convince us that we need to like consume all these products. Okay, but it, from in terms of nutrition, nutritional absorption, um, you know, the bodies, the, the glucose management and all of that sort of stuff, six meals a day versus 12, uh, 16, eight, it depends on your body. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I think, yeah, right now there's not a lot of evidence again. I'm so sorry. I keep on being like, oh, there's not that much research, but it's true. I can't, you know, I can't say anything with certainty just because I've been involved. Like I was on um, the American Heart Institute, American Heart Association. We tried to, we published something for meal frequency and timing to see if it had any effect on cardiometabolic disease risk. And really we, we couldn't find many like strong associations with that. So it seems that, yeah, we still don't really know with meal timing and frequency, like what the best thing to do is. The only thing that we notice is that people earlier on in the day are more able, they're more insulin sensitive. So that means that they're able to um, kind of put away sugar more easily earlier on in the day. Um, and then as the day progresses, uh, that becomes a little harder. So what but does that mean? That's, does that mean from that is don't eat a lot late in the evening. So your body can't really deal with the nutrients very well, generally past like kind of dinner time-ish. So like past 6 p.m. So if you try to kind of stop eating everything by 6-ish or maybe like 8 at the latest, it's uh, probably best opposed to eating like a midnight snack or like, you know, snacking or watching TV late in the evening and eating whatever snacks, that, that's probably pretty bad. Gotcha. Even though, again, there's some people that say you should eat a snack before you go to bed. Um, sometimes that'll help people sleep better. Um, oh, I haven't heard that right. actually. And then there are those that say, like don't eat a snack before you go to bed because you'll get indigestion. Like, <laughs> like, honestly, I mean, I, I really think that there's a, a piece of it, which is whatever works for your body, as you said before, that different yeah, yeah, bodies work absolutely. differently. Like there's not, I think, you know, in, in the weight loss study arena, we were always trying to find like the best diet out there, like which one's the best, which one results in the most weight loss. But what we've really realized is that 
you know, we need to test out a whole array of these diets so people have all these different tools that they can use and then they can find the one that works for them long term. Right. Okay, well, let's talk about these other two versions of intermittent fasting. So one is the alternate day fast. So what? how does that one work? So that one, yeah, I briefly mentioned. So it, it's basically it involves a fast day where someone eats around 500 calories, usually as um, a lunch or a dinner, but really they can do whatever they want with that. They could even split it up to 500 calories and spread it throughout the day. And then that's alternated with something we call a feast day, and that's a day where people can like truly eat whatever they want. Um, and most of my research has been in alternate day fasting. And I'd say one of the key findings, um, as opposed to just like the weight loss and health benefits, is that people don't binge on the feast day. I think that's a really important thing to, to keep in mind. So people hear like, oh, I can do whatever I want on these like alternating feast days. Um, so we've shown that people only eat about 10% more or so on the feast days, so around 200 calories more than they would usually eat. So they're not like fully compensating for the lack of food on the fast day, and that's why they end up uh, losing weight. So, and then again, do they adjust their diet in any way as well besides the restricted calories? And obviously, when you're when you only have 500 calories a day, you want it to be as nutritionally dense as possible. But on my feast days, can I have chocolate cake and ice cream if I want? Yeah, you can. I would definitely, you know, recommend the whole, like, everything in moderation so you don't have to remove those things from your diet, but don't have, like, you know, like, half a cake or something. <laughs> so, but yeah, you can definitely have snacks and have the treats that you enjoy. And then how about, what's the 5-2 feast, feast fast version? Uh, so that one is kind of similar, except for there's only two fast days per week. So a true alternate day fasting, you'd literally have, you know, since it's every other day, you'd have, like, three or four fast days per week, but five to, it's really only two fast days per week. And you can put those two days wherever you want. So a lot of people like to have them on like Monday and Wednesday and avoid the weekends just because, you know, weekends usually more social. So you, you wouldn't want to put your fast days there. And on the feast days though, is it is that also still eat whatever you want? Or is that, I thought I'd read someplace that the feast days actually still had calorie limits, that it was a little bit more structured. Um, it really depends. There, most, you know, a lot of the research in that area has allowed people to just do whatever they want on the feast days. But then there's some, like, yeah, alterations of the diet where they cap the feast day at 1,500 calories. Um, so there's, you know, you can kind of do it however you want. Is part of the theory of all of this, I'll call it retraining your body's metabolism. So if I'm, whether I'm timed eating or whether I'm alternate day fasting, I can see my body getting used to a new rhythm. Um, the five two somehow seems a little more erratic, that my body doesn't quite get enough consistent new behavior to fully get into a new pattern. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. I've actually never run any studies in five two because I, I you know I would think it would be harder for people to stick to in the sense that yeah, just this like erratic pattern of eating. Whereas alternate day fasting, you kind of get used to this up down pattern of eating every other day. And you don't have to um, think about it. But, Did uh, I eat yesterday? Yeah, Didn't I eat studies, yesterday? There's long-term studies now in 5-2 showing that um, it basically results in almost the same amount of weight loss as, as alternate day fasting and daily calorie restriction. So I guess it does work for some people. Yeah. Okay. So is fasting appropriate for, or, you know, I want to find about it, whether it's best for some people, if it's appropriate for certain people in particular? And then on the flip side, are there certain people in particular who should not be fasting at all? Um, it is 
definitely not. Well, just to start with the people who shouldn't do it. Um, I don't think like pregnant or lactating women should should do alternate uh, any of the intermittent fasting. We just don't have any safety data in that area. So it's not a um, how to lose your baby weight strategy. Yeah, yeah, like afterwards potentially, but you know if you're kind of severely calorie restricting while you're. Um, nursing a baby you can uh yeah it's, you can actually like decrease milk production so we i don't know I, at this point i wouldn't recommend it there um i wouldn't really recommend it right now in type 1 diabetics there's no research out there and uh you know it'd just be difficult for people to control like their glucose and you know their insulin doses and all that unless they're working really closely with a doctor so at this point um i wouldn't recommend it for them um type 2 diabetics there's been a couple studies uh, it's okay, but you definitely have to work closely with a healthcare with your healthcare provider to figure out how to like change your insulin regimen if you're on insulin. Right. So those are some of the main people. Um, we also have that people, it doesn't work okay, in people with like binge eating disorder. Yeah, um, I can see that. And then yeah, those are I'd say the the th- three main area cl- uh, classes of people. And then are there people that it's most beneficial for, aside from if you have a significant amount of weight to lose? I wouldn't say it's like most beneficial for anyone yet. We haven't found, well, actually, no, we found that postmenopausal women do really well with the diets. Um, we did like a sub analysis and we found that postmenopausal women tend to lose about twice as much weight as premenopausal women do with alternate day fasting. So I guess that's one group that seems to really benefit from it. Is there any difference men versus women? Uh, we haven't been able to run that just because we have so few men that participate in studies. It's just a, it's just a thing. It's always like 90% women, basically. So it's hard to compare like, you know, 100 women to like 10 men or something like that. So <laughs> Why do you think, um, just statistically. That's interesting. Is it that you get more women for weight loss studies or how in general across the population are women participating and more interested in um, intermittent fasting than men? A women just participate in studies. It's usually almost all human studies are 80% women, 20% men, unless they like specifically target men. Um, yeah, I don't know why it is. Women are just way more likely to participate in any research. We're such participators. <laughs> we just do that. Um, how about for the, let's go back to the cell regeneration and the, the risk profile reduction for some diseases. Is it something that if somebody is diagnosed with heart disease, should they consider this? Or if they have a high um, risk of cancer? I think that I think that as long as someone consults with their doctor first to see if it's safe for them based on, you know, like their blood pressure, et cetera, like that, I think I think it's fine. Um, we haven't we've, you know, run studies in people with a history of cancer and with a history of heart disease and it has been they have, you know, done well with the diets, but Always, you know, if you have a history of some type of disease, consult with your doctor first. Right. Okay. And how about by age? Is this a, a good thing or a you don't know about, I'll call it teens, you know, where, where they're kind of formulating their eating habits. So it's a little dangerous to play with their dietary focus. In, oh, in like teenagers? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. At this point, there has been like a pilot study that came out showing that alternate day fasting is effective for weight loss in, in teenagers. It's pretty heavily debated right now, though, whether or not um, teens should do it just because, you know, does it increase the risk of eating disorders? So I think we need a lot more research in that area. But at the same time, you know, if you do the research, you don't want to hurt anyone in doing that. So it's, yeah, that's a really tough area. 
Um, right now, I could say just in terms of age that seniors should probably not be doing this diet. Generally, like after the age of 65, 70, people just start naturally losing weight because they, you know, they start losing muscle mass and they start, they just tend to eat less after that age for a host of reasons. So I don't think that uh, seniors should be doing it. Okay. Um, I was still, my brain was kind of still hanging on the teenager thing a little bit. Um, like, you know, is it, if I had a daughter, if I was, you know, a child that was overweight, um, would it be a way without kind of hagging on them about their food choices to go, hey, let's try, you know, switching our scheduling of eating so that I didn't hag them on portions necessarily or I didn't hag them on, on you know, the types of choices they were making? Um, um, probably time-restricted feeding would not be dangerous yeah. because, you know, you're not, like, severely cutting back calories. Um, I'm actually involved in, uh, in Australia, they're running a study in teenagers with alternate day fasting. And right now, I don't know if you heard about it, but it's getting a lot of pushback from like all these different like eating disorder societies and stuff thinking that, you know, if you make these teens do alternate day fasting, they might get like develop, have a higher propensity to develop eating disorders. So, so instead they want know, them to count pretty, points you know, for everything in their mouth? find that out for real unless we run the study but then if you run the study you don't want to put people at risk so yeah we, we really don't know at this point yeah interesting all right so let's talk about now let's shift a little bit to now i want to go do it right so now we've got people that want to go do it they say okay awesome i'm in i'm sold i can lose weight i can improve my health <laughs> now what does it feel like because i actually tried it for a few days and uh-huh. i didn't make it past a handful of days i was like i'm hungry my, I felt like I couldn't concentrate all that well. At least, you know, I didn't go past a week. So is there, what, what happens in those first five, you know, five to 10 days? And is that, is there a transition period that I have to deal with? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the first 10 days are, are pretty rough um, for pretty much everyone. So there's just this transition period where your body needs to habituate to the whole like up-down pattern of eating. And, and this is the same yeah, whether really it's does. timed eating or alternate day? Yeah, yeah, it's, okay. it seems to be the same. So we've only run one study in time-restricted feeding, but people tended to complain for the first week and a half just as much as they did with alternate day fasting. So kind of seems to be the same thing. But then after that week and a half is over, most people say that the diet becomes pretty easy. So in terms of what they experience, because I want them to know, you know, a lot of times they'll talk about side effects of things. Like there will be, you know, people talk about if they take probiotics, they might have a side effect of a headache or they might have a side effect of stomach upset. Well, yes, because it's starting to work and change your gut biome. So, you know, when I first am shifting to a different schedule of eating, might I be lightheaded? Might I be... Um, tired should I pause on my exercise like what's happening to my body and is that normal and or you know should I watch out for certain activities during that transition time um in general people just tend to feel kind of cranky honestly they they we haven't had much we always like take records of people feeling dizzy and stuff like that so that's not super common but people tend to have problems concentrating they tend to feel tired, uh, but the main thing is they feel the whole like hangry thing on the fast day, and uh, yeah, just in general like really irritable. Um, so those are the main things to look out for. But I wouldn't say you would need to alter your your exercise habits or anything. Um, we've run a study combining alternate day fasting and exercise, and found that you know people love eventually exercising on their fast day. They have a boost of energy on their fast day. 
so they they really enjoy that. But um, in the first ten days, you know, it's it's an adjustment period, so take it easy on yourself. But I don't see any reason to skip exercise sessions. All right. Yeah. I was gonna actually after I was gonna I have a bunch of questions for you. I was gonna kind of give you a kind of a quick FAQs on fasting, but let's stick with this for one second. So to just to tie up in terms of what that initial transition is, then in terms of like defending against it, it's not, you're going to happen. You're going to be hangry. You're going to might be a little bit lightheaded. So the best defense is simply to be aware and, and give yourself a week to 10 days to work through it. And then, you know, after 10 days, if you're not feeling better, do you call the game? Yeah, if you know, if you try it for a solid two weeks, and by the end of the two weeks, if it's like not for you, then you know what? It's probably just not for you. Then that's fine. But I, it's bad. I wouldn't quit it in the first week because you're gonna feel crappy in the first week no matter what. So you know, with we get most of our dropouts occurring in the first like week or so because people just can't adapt to it. But anyone who pushes through to the second week tends to stay in the study um, for for longer. So, yeah, definitely, you know, try to push through and, and it, it might work for you. But, yeah, if you if you really hate it at the end of two weeks, then definitely. <laughs> if your family's going, oh, my God, please eat something, <laughs> then it's a problem. All right. So let's go through some of these FAQs because, you know, people do wonder about some of it. So you mentioned a little bit exercise and fasting and that you really can exercise and fast. So how do you do that? So, you know, I've been I've, I'm started running i'm training for this this 10k run so i've been running and suddenly i'm having to run for these 90 minutes and i'll have a snack beforehand but i really in the middle of it start getting super lightheaded start you know feel like my blood sugar is i'm I'm hitting a blood sugar wall and you're saying that that isn't a problem or do you adjust your exercise like if it's heavy exercise day then you don't do that on a fast day and you do that on an eat day like how do you work it through um, in general, so when we ran an exercise study, people were just doing kind of like moderate physical activity, like they were doing like elliptical machines and bikes. It's like 30 um, minutes a day For kind about of stuff. an hour on the fast day. So okay. it wasn't anyone, just to clarify, it wasn't anyone like training for something. Right. Uh, we haven't run anything in athletes or people that were actually like training for a marathon or triathlon or something like that. So I'm not that, that think, athletic. You know, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 10K. Um, it's not a marathon. I will never do a marathon. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, definitely, you know, if you're if you're really training for something, maybe just if you can just schedule those on the feast day, that would be helpful. Um, or, you know, with time-restricted feeding, you could, I don't think, you know, you would probably just eat more calories and hopefully more protein during your eating window to, yeah, basically give you energy for exercise. And is there any special types of foods that I should eat? Should I heavy up on my protein during exercise days? Uh, in general, yeah. We definitely recommend having a little bit more protein on, on exercise days, but not a, not a ton more, like maybe just like 20 more grams of protein. Um, the other thing we always recommend is to save the meal for after, the fast day meal for after the exercise session. So if you tend to eat your meal before exercise, you'll get really hungry after exercise and then you'll kind of cheat and then just have another meal. So you won't really be fasting that day. Um, so yeah, just save it till after exercise session and try to increase your protein a bit. Got it. Okay. Let's talk about the fast days. We talked a little bit before on the fast days um, that you're eating about 500 calories. Again, are there any specific food types that she, people should be eating? Is there any... Um, change in the percentages of fruits, veggies, dairy, protein, whatever, grains? Uh, The only thing that we noticed was that people should try to eat at least 
50 grams of protein on the fast day, um, just if that's just a regular day, uh, like without exercise. Um, yeah, that tends to help people lower their hunger levels. It helps them keep fuller for longer throughout the day. So that's the main thing that we noticed. And also people often ask, like, what should I be eating? Um, kind of healthier options would be you can make like a smoothie with you know fruits and vegetables and nuts and maybe protein powder or like Greek yogurt or something that has a lot of protein in it you can make a couple of those shakes on the day we also recommend like a salad uh, with not a ton of dressing but then a lot of like protein options on it like chicken or chickpeas or something like that so those are some healthy options for the fast day got it and how about fats because fats tend to um, satiate longer? Uh, there, that's kind of, the jury's kind of out on the fat satiating longer. We don't know. Protein's definitely been shown that, but fats, I just did a literature search on that a little while ago, and, it, and we're not quite sure if that's actually true. Um, but uh, in general, you know, if you're consuming like 30% of your calories as fat, that should be fine. That's like kind of what, you know, within the recommended intake. All right. All right. So now how about when you're doing timed eating? Can you drink coffee or tea during the non-eating hours? Uh, yeah, with all the fasting regimens, we allow people to have, um, yeah, black coffee or black tea. So you can put like a tiny bit of sugar in it if you want, but you're kind of technically breaking the fast if you add any calories to it. But if you really need to add a bit, you know, I think it's fine, honestly. Um, and then we've also allowed diet sodas in the past, but we've tried to limit those to just two per day because sometimes those can increase people's appetite. Well, and other issues with it as well. Um, how about yeah. are there any other freebies like hot water with lemon, or does that does that also negate it, just adding that calorie off a of lemon? Uh, no, yeah, the lemon juice would probably be like just a couple calories. So, no, that's that's definitely... Fine. And hot beverages usually help people feel a little bit fuller as well. So that can work to keep people happy. All right. And how about vitamins? Um, should people take vitamins? Is that beneficial while you're reducing your calories? And same thing, like how do I take my vitamins during fast times? Because I don't know about you, but B vitamins on an empty stomach do not sit well with me. Oh, really? Oh, I haven't heard that. Um, you can take them basically any time that works for you. If it's better to take them with meals, that's fine. You know, vitamins and minerals have, like, no calories in them. So you can kind of take them whenever you want. But um, in general, most people, if you're eating kind of, a, you know, a lot of fruits and vegetables in your diet and some meats and grains, or if you're vegetarian, as long as you're eating, um, yeah, but just like a whole host of, like, beans and stuff like that, most people aren't nutrient deficient, so you should be fine. But if you do do intermittent fasting for longer than two months, then I'd recommend taking some type of uh, vitamin complex, vitamin mineral complex, just because you might start uh, getting low in some of those vitamins or minerals. Gotcha. And so, so interesting question, interesting point you just raised. Can I fast indefinitely, or is it a limited time thing? Um, but there's definitely been people that do it for a very long time. Like I've had people email me saying that they've been doing it for like 15 years. They initially lost 60 pounds and then have kept it off doing intermittent fasting. Um, most people tend to kind of start with alternate day fasting because it results in the most rapid weight loss. And then they tend to transfer over to like 5-2 or maybe just fasting one day per week um, to keep the weight off. So that's usually what people do. And so far, the longest studies in intermittent fasting in humans have been a year long. So we examined like whether or not people can use it for weight maintenance, and it, and it seems to work. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, right now there's just not any super long-term studies in this area. So I don't really know. So, but do I have to shift though my fasting? Like if I've, even if I'm doing alternate day fasting and I'm done with losing my weight, do I now have to increase from 500 calories a day to 700 calories a day? Because otherwise I'm just uh, going to keep losing or no, does my body I, adjust I, to a new set point? I probably, well, I probably just keep it at, you know, five to 600 calories a day, but just decrease the amount of fast days in the week. That tends to work best for people. The minute people start eating more during the fast days or allowing themselves more calories, they tend to just kind of like blow it and then just consume, you know, like 1500 calories. Um, and then, sorry, you had another question there too? Uh, no, I was just trying to figure out in terms of fasting indefinitely because, you know, they always say like when you, when you suddenly starve your body, then it kind of shifts to starvation mode and then it holds on to all the calories that you have. Is that not happening in this process? Oh, uh, yeah, that doesn't really ever happen. I don't know where that came from either. It's kind of this whole like detoxifying thing. There's all these things where it's like, oh, the minute, I think that's why people were like really against fasting at first. Because there was this whole concept that it will like mess up your metabolism, but that really doesn't make any sense. Um, anytime you lose weight, your your metabolic rate, which is your metabolism, which is basically just how many calories your body burns per day, is going to decrease because your muscle mass basically dictates like what your metabolic rate is, your metabolism. And then as you lose weight, you always you lose a little bit of muscle mass. So as you lose muscle mass, metabolism goes down a bit. But we've shown that basically fasting and calorie restriction, so just the more normal traditional dieting, produces the same changes in, in metabolism. So, and then, But from a day-to-day basis, no, your body's not going to hold on to calories more from fasting. It's all about energy in, energy out, basically, um, and that's kind of what results in weight loss. We could have called this podcast Old Wives' Tales Debunked. All the, <laughs> all the theories that I've all grown up with. Well, no, if you starve, then your body's going to hold on to every ounce of everything. No, not really. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Again, I don't know where that came from. So, but I, that, I definitely hear that all the time, and I'm like, oh no, that just doesn't. Yeah, that doesn't happen. Okay, they heard it here first. If you starve yourself, you will not. <laughs> your body will not shift its metabolism. There we go. Um, all right. So one last question: What happens when I stop fasting? Um, you know, will I, will my body suddenly freak out? Will it like, how do I, if, if I'm done with it or if I want to do it, I'll call it once every few months. Like how do you adapt back to normalcy? Uh, if you're, so if you've used it for like weight loss and then you like go back on your normal diet, you you definitely have to be pretty careful. Like you should transition then to like calorie count like not calorie counting, but just kind of like being more vigilant about your food intake. Cause if you totally transition transition back to the way you like your old diet patterns you'll just gain all the weight back um but people don't really have issues with um like they don't feel crazy or weird when they like transition back off of fasting um oftentimes they might feel like a bit more sluggish when they just start eating more day to day but um other than that there's no real like negative health effects but yeah you just have to be pretty vigilant about how much food you're taking in because the fasting helps you just naturally control your calorie intake so the minute you go back to like three meals a day or whatever it is, you, you have like a pretty high risk of, you know, eating too much and gaining the weight back. Gotcha. And a mighty nasty stomach ache to boot. Um, anything that I have not asked you that we want to be sure that people know about? Uh, no, I think we hit on most of the stuff. And then also just to reiterate, yeah, it doesn't mess up your metabolism. And we have run safety studies and it is safe. People don't like pass out or anything like that, you know. 
in general, yeah, and it, it also doesn't result in eating disorders. That's something that people often ask about. So this is an adult. Um, so we, we ran studies looking at people that had no history of eating disorders, and they, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. And, uh, yeah, none of them, you know, developed a, an eating disorder from participating in a tr- intermittent fasting. So just something to keep in mind. All right. Thank you, Dr. Krista Verity. Her book is The Every Other Day Diet, and you can go and buy it on Amazon or at your local bookstore. Thank you so very much. Oh, great. Thanks for having me again. I'm talking to Dr. Krista Verity, co-author of The Every Other Day Diet, an expert on the health benefits and risks of the hot new diet trend, intermittent fasting. Dr. Verity is just one of the hundreds of practitioners who appear every year in our highly acclaimed publication, Bottom Line Health which is filled with information from America's leading mainstream and complementary experts on not just diet and weight loss, but all aspects of a healthy life, including how to treat diseases quickly and safely, identifying risks and symptoms of illness, and most importantly, how to increase your odds of living a long and vibrant life. Bottom Line Health has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 30 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get two free bonus books, Physician's Guide to the Right Medicines, and Physician's Guide to Remedies and Cures, both full of some of the greatest tips from our team of health experts. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLH. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLH.